So if, if death was buried, why do we still live like we've been baptized in vinegar? Christian, the world is all done. I don't get it, but I do because I, I mean, I'm a, Scotman, I'm a Scottish guy, so I complain about everything and I want everything free. Um, but let, let, let's, as we read this passage from Colossians 4, let's, let's hear it and read it with our eyebrows up. Instead of, because when you look at the news and you look at things around us, we kind of, look, fear and anxiety is a commodity and it's traded on the airwaves and they're trading it to keep us anxious and afraid so we watch for more. I'm not coming down, we should know what's going on in the world, I'm not coming down on that, but folks, if we define ourselves, I'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, if we define ourselves by what we see and by what the world is doing, then we're going to be, we're going to look like and behave like we're baptized in vinegar and like we have no hope. It's just not good. Death has been laid in the grave. It's been buried and it. The sting has taken out of it and it has no more control over us. We are resurrected people with the Holy Spirit of God living in us. So here today with the idea that the God of the universe takes up resonance, not in brick and mortar, but in sinew and muscle and arteries and veins and a little bit of extra around the waist. <laughs> all of it. It's all been redeemed. So let's continue to become who we already are. I'm going to offer a prayer, but before I do that, I want to greet those of you joining us on live stream. Just found out that the Dockeries, or at least Pete, is in Guatemala watching us live right now. So everyone just turn around and wave to the Dockeries. Camera, come down a little bit so you can see them. There we go. There we go. Glad you're, glad you're with us, and I'm really hoping that when we all turned around, it didn't freeze. Let's pray. Lord, your words today for us. This is not my message for your people. It's your message for us. As we conclude the study and the, the, the preaching on the book of Colossians, remind us, Lord, that, that your word is living, that it isn't relevant to them and, and irrelevant to us. Rather, the more we study it, the more we read it, the more we hear it, the more we think about it, the more we pray, we realize that you have known, do know, and will always know better than we will about what brings hope, what brings peace, and what your desire is for us. So, Lord, I don't want to say anything you don't want me to say. But if there's something you want said that I haven't thought of, make it burn within me so that I speak your word for your people this day. Lord, join us, be glorified in this, and bring your weight, your glory on these words so that they land on all of us, not just those of us sitting here, but those of us watching online and those who will be watching later in the week. Lord, we, we, we want your word to go out and return, not void, but accomplishing that which you've sent it to do. In Jesus' name, for the glory of God our Father, we pray. Amen. Um, for those of you who have not been here the last few weeks, uh, welcome. And Colossians, I'm not going to do a big, like, sum up, here's, here's what... I just want you to know about a little bit about Colossians. The, the church in Colossae, it was kind of a, um, it was a town that used to be a big deal, and it's not a big deal at this time anymore. Uh, but they were being influenced by religious people who were Jewish, trying to tell the Christians they need to be more Jewish in order to be good Christians. I don't like the term good Christian because that means you're really good at being forgiven. It really means a good Christian means you're kind of a bad person. Okay. And they're being influenced by all the other religions of the time when people 
people that had been converted from these other religions, these, these demon-worshiping religions and these, these, these uh, immoral religions, all those kind of things. They've been converted to Christianity. So they were kind of, some of these people were going, well, we need to be more like we used to be instead of like we are. And Paul, we talked about this last week, says, put to death those things, both of them, all of them. And stop thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, but don't think of yourself more lowly than you should either, because you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness. And he said, don't, don't, don't be gross. Don't be angry. Don't be always um, frustrated. Don't talk about malice and, and, and bitterness and all those kind of things. Just remember whose you are and become who Christ already says you are. And then Colossians chapter 4 is kind of Paul, just like chapter 1, at least part of chapter 1, is saying, hey, folks, don't forget who you are. And at the end, after the instructions, of the significant instructions in 1, 2, and 3, at the end, there's about, I don't know, four verses, three, four verses there, where, where Paul goes, hey, don't forget. It's kind of like at the end of, a, at the end of a service when the pastor stands up before he gives the benediction, uh, he or she has those little sum-ups. Basically, what, it's everything they forgot to say in the sermon. They try to bring you right at the end. Paul, Paul's kind of doing that. Now, he goes on, and I encourage you to read it. He goes on to thank, to thank the people um, in Colossae to remind them of who loves them and who's praying for them. To, he gives greetings to people, and he says, when so-and-so comes, receive them, and take this letter and pass it on to the church in Laodicea and get the letter that I wrote to them here. But there's this little snippet, this little spot where Paul says some amazing things. And we're going to read that, but I want you to, again, keep your eyebrows up, because this is really good news. It's not rules. It's not, here's how terrible you are. Basically, what he's saying is this, and I'm going to sum it up with, uh, this isn't on your screen, with Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the often perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, he scorned at shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And consider him who endured such opposition or hardship from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul, like the author of Hebrews, is saying, hey folks, keep moving in the right direction. And don't get distracted by the, all the stuff, all the stuff, all the stuff, because there's plenty of stuff. I'm going to read this first, first line, and then I'm going to get a couple of examples for you. It just starts off, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. It's pretty simple. Sounds real Christian. You know, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. But let's just dissect it a little bit. And that's what we're going to kind of do is just go not word by word, but we're going to divide this thing up a little bit. Thankful. What does it mean to be thankful? To, to be full of gratitude in your hearts to God. Why is Paul reminding us to be thankful? He was reminding them to be thankful. He was reminding you, me. Here's what, here's what happens when we're thankful. It is almost impossible to be negative, to be angry, to feel offended or wronged when you're in a perpetual state of gratitude. Paul knows that people are watching us. And if we have a heart, a spirit, a demeanor, a life of thanksgiving... It is really hard to be really upset with your boss long-term. It's really hard to be defined by what you hear on television all the time. It's really hard. Here, here's an example. 
friend of mine, I'm going to see him next month. He was the Young Life Area Director when I was uh, in college. <clears throat> he, was out, he was there when I was in high school too, but his name is Mark. I'm not going to give his last name because if you know him, you ask him about this story, he might be embarrassed that it's being told. It's a good one, but Mark was on Young Life staff. He didn't make enough money to really support a family, his wife and three kids. And trust me, Young Life, young life staff people do not get paid much, just, just above the poverty line. So he's the area director in Grand Rapids. It's a, it's a very large area. It was up and coming. It was growing. It's, it's been there 40 years now. And someone on the committee decided that they're going to raise money, and they purchased for Mark and Karen and their three kids a brand-new four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive Mazda minivan. This is way back in the, the, I think, the late 80s, early 90s. Now, Mark was flabbergasted. He was moved to tears when they showed up with this big minivan sitting in their, in their driveway and said, it's yours and it's free and clear. They didn't even have to title it. It was all done. Now, do you think that Mark, when he cranked up that minivan and he drove through the January in Grand Rapids with that all-wheel drive with his wife and three kids in the back, do you think he's driving around and looking at someone else in their beat-up old piece and go, Come, look at how awesome I am because I have this great brand new all-wheel drive minivan and you, you should upgrade. No, you can't. If someone has done something for you, it is almost impossible to think of yourself more highly than you ought because he was unable to afford that which, which someone was willing to give him. So if we have been given so much, we've been, we've been shown so much grace and mercy and love and devotion, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, that should bring us to the point of being thankful, always thankful. And if we're thankful, it's hard to walk around like you've been baptized in vinegar. Yeah, I'm so grateful for all the Lord has given me. People are watching. And Paul, in these last few verses, these, these few verses that we're talking about today, is trying to communicate to the church, you've been redeemed, you've been saved act like it. Be watchful. Was it? Some, some would argue that he's talking about the, the end times and that, that Paul had a misunderstanding of when, when the delayed return, the delayed parousia, it's called when, 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 when Jesus is coming back and that he was trying to tell them, always be ready. And I'm sure you've never heard about this because, well, if you're on the internet, because everything on the internet is correct, right? I mean, it's all, it's all, it's all reliable. Um, especially Wikipedia, because anyone can edit it, so it must be reliable. Um, but, you know, there's all the prophecies out there. If you watch YouTube, and you, you conspiracy theories and prophecies, they're all over the place. And the end of the world was going to happen in 1988. It was going to happen again in just a couple of, several years ago. In fact, a couple of months ago, or a month or six weeks ago, the end of the world was coming, right? And I'm not, look, I get that. I understand it. And I understand how exciting that kind of thing is. But if we're always ready, then it doesn't matter. If we're always ready for the Lord to return, then it doesn't matter. What Paul is saying here is, folks, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to be pulled away. It's easy to be walking a line and just drift a little bit. It's easy to not keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's easy to, to not be watchful, to not be mindful, to not be keeping the main thing the main thing, to use a cliche. This week I had lunch with someone who um, I've met with a couple of times, really respect him, not coming down on him at all, but it was the worst start of a conversation I've experienced since last year in the fall, right about this time. 
I hadn't met with him for a couple of years, year and a half, two years. And, you know, after the, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. It's been a while. This was the starter of the conversation. It had nothing to do with why we were meeting. I don't know where you stand politically, but okay, this is going to be fun. I'm right back to last year in October. And I said, well, I'm safe. By the way, if you ever get a chance to use that line when someone says, I don't know where you stand politically, just say, oh, it's okay, I'm safe. What does that mean? And he asked, he goes, I don't know, what what do you mean? Don't you know where you stand? Yeah, I I know where I stand. I'm just going to disagree with everything you tell me. The other option is I'm going to agree with everything you tell me because you really, you can't win. But he was very upset with the current political environment and um, he had some points to make and I said, I understand that. But here's, here's what, and I told him that what bothers me about political conversation, just like, I don't know if you guys know this, that last week Michigan and Michigan State played. You guys aware? Um, I don't know who won. And here's the thing that's a real shocker. I don't care. <laughs> I don't. I really don't care. That's kind of, kind of, I think it's sad that, in the, that, that my, how I see the world, what hope I have or do not have, and my anxiety and fear level rises or falls based on who has been elected to political office. When I know who the king of kings is, when God can set anyone on a throne or in a ruler or as a leader that he wants, and he can depose any, any king, any ruler, any person in leadership or authority, anyone. He can decide who's more important to win, Michigan or Michigan State. I don't know why politics should determine how I see the world. I'm not saying it's not important because it does indeed affect people's lives. It does indeed affect freedom. But my anxiety and fear level should not change based on who's in the office. Just like my relationships and my friendships and how angry I am in a day or not should not be determined by what a 20-year-old does on a football field. It just shouldn't. Nothing against that 20-year-old. I'm sure his parents are very proud. Paul is saying, be watchful. Pay attention not to all that, to Christ. Because if you're focused on the Lord, I know how cliche that sounds, but if you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and you throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, if you run with perseverance, listen, the race marked out for you. Our job, our call, our duty as Christians is to find what the path of the race is. It's already been marked out. So if we, if we can stay watchful, if we can stay mindful, if we can stay focused on what God wants us to stay focused on, it is impossible to be full of fear and anxiety, the commodity that's traded on the airwaves. It's impossible. You cannot be angry with someone that you just thanked God for. Be devoted to prayer and be watchful and mindful. What is prayer? Simply, it's talking to the one who made you. It's talking to the one who knows better than you do. It's talking to the one who's in charge of all things. Our whole world, past, present, future, every political realm, every nation state, every people group are all under the lordship of the king. And the king lives in you. So what do you have to be anxious or fearful or upset about? Why are you offended? Be devoted to prayer. You know, I didn't say this last, year, last week in this service. I, it just escaped me. The, 
But here's what the word devoted means. I mean, you can, you can dissect it. You can, you can look in all the different scriptural references, but there's these times in the Old Testament when the people of God, God sent them in to, to, to conquer a people, regardless of what you think of war. That was the Semitic lifestyle at the time. And he would, all the treasures that they gathered from their, conquer, from, from their conquering, God would say, these are to be devoted to me. Gold, silver. And then he would say, melt them, destroy them, burn them. Now, as a good Scotsman, but you could, that, you, you could feed the poor. You, Haiti could eat. You know, we could, we could kind of rebuild Puerto Rico with this. But what God is saying to them is, you devote this to me. It, devotion means to be destroyed for any purpose other than the purpose for which it was meant. So when I do my devotions, it's not read for five minutes and then pray for five minutes if I'm, if I'm, if I'm awake enough, but you know, I, or not read and, and pray until my mind wanders. It's to be absolutely destroyed for any other purpose. And my purpose, what is the purpose of the church? To declare the manifold wisdom of God. That's the all multifaceted wisdom of God to the principalities and the rulers of the air. And what's the purpose of a Christian? To do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do and to celebrate the fact that God loves us, lives in us, and we live not in death, but in resurrection. So to devote yourselves to prayer means to talk to the one who loves you more than anybody else and to talk to him relentlessly to be perpetually in conversation with the one who loves you more than your parents, more than your spouse, more than your children, who loves you more than the politicians or, or whoever the person is that you idolize on a football field, a basketball court, or softball field. Relentlessly devoted in prayer. And why, why pray? I mean, this isn't guilt. This is encouragement. If you talk to God, he will speak back. Sometimes in that still, quiet voice. Other times in a sense of, yes, 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 I'm distracted. I'm not being watchful. And sometimes by just reading his living word. Devote yourselves to prayer while being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, and pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should. You notice what Paul did not ask for when he's asking for prayers from the church that he's never met? He didn't say, pray that I get released from prison. Pray that this hardship goes away. Because Paul knows that all things, God works together for the good in all things. So even when he's in prison, he's more concerned about his captors his guards, those who are beating and persecuting him, he's more concerned about them having ears to hear and eyes to see so that they will learn that they are especially beloved of the God of the universe. He wants to be able to make it so clear that they understand that God, if he has, back then, they didn't, I mean, they didn't have it, but if God has a, a, an H phone, I guess you would call it, a Holy Spirit phone or an iPhone, that, that you know, all those, all those images, you whoop, your picture's in there. And when people go, hey, tell me about that one, he goes, oh, let me tell you. This, this was why I made this one. Yeah, some rough edges. We're working on that. That's the sanctification piece. But whoa, let me tell you. And the job they're doing and their sense of humor and their musical taste, they don't like broccoli, but man, this one, 
You know, all those hairs that fell off of Kurt Henry's head, I knew every one of them was going to (laughs) go. But that is how dear you are to God. And those who want harm to come to you are dear to God. He will not speak an ill word of them. He will allow them to be as miserable as they choose to be. But Paul is saying, when I have opportunity, would you pray that when I speak it, it has the weight, the glory of God on it, so that when they hear it, they will respond. And then he goes on. So he just said, pray for me. And then he's, he's basically praying for them. He says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Some great stuff in here, but some some people, when you read this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. There's really two, two responses that Christian people, there might be more, but Christian people have toward people that aren't yet Christian. They're circle the wagons, protect ourselves, put up a barrier, so that we all know who the right kind of Christians are. And before you come in here, we're going to check your theology. We're going to check your doctrine. We're going to make sure you know how to pray. We're going to have an what, what version of the scripture you're reading. We're going to know that you're like us. And that's a be wise because it's careful and we got to hold on to the holy ones. But this whole book of scripture is about, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You are indeed God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. yes. But don't, so don't think that you have to become something else. Become who you already are. And don't think you need to go back to who you were. Put that stuff to death. Rid yourself of it. But instead, understand who you are and celebrate it. And be wise how you interact with outsiders, with non-Christians, people that aren't yet Christ, people that don't yet know that they're loved by God. Be wise. Some people in the church, in Colossa, saw they were a minority group in their culture. Fledgling church, just getting going. So some of them behaved with anxiety and fear when they were interacting with people that were outside of the church. And so they were really careful. They they were very careful to let anyone know, to let certain people know or not know whether or not they were a believer. Paul's talking to them, be wise in how you interact, but don't be fearful. And then there were those who, have, who took, took to heart Paul's message of therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and they started thinking of themselves as better than they should. Like we're, we're the chosen, we're the redeemed. So they're gonna look down on everybody who doesn't look like them, act like them, dress like them, it doesn't, doesn't worship in the right place, doesn't, doesn't believe in the right God. And Paul be wise. And then he tells them how. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't, don't, don't circle the wagons. And, and your, let your conversations be full of grace, getting what you don't deserve. So if you're talking to someone who does not yet know Jesus, what's your approach? Condemnation? Judgment? Anger? Or are you playing the victim? Well, the world used to love us, and now they don't. Grace, no matter what they say, love them. No matter what attitude they have toward you, love them. 
Give them that which they do not deserve because that's what God has given you. Do you deserve a resurrected life now, not just when you die and go to heaven? No. But it has been freely given. It's been paid for. That's why you're being thankful and watchful. That's why you're being devoted to prayer. That's why you're praying for people like me and others, especially the, I'm saying me because I'm, I'm a proclaimer of the gospel, right? So you should be praying for me that the weight of the Lord land on you, the glory of God's word land on you in a way that you respond in obedience. It's not the job I do. It's the job the Spirit does landing on you. And the persecuted church, we should be praying for them. Those who, who have that, that, who are imprisoned or being persecuted or being beaten or being ostracized or, or having all their livelihood taken away from them, we should be praying that they are faithful and that others come to know Jesus because they see how people are willing to stand up even when they're being knocked down. And then we should be wise, unafraid, willing, and full of grace. You will never win someone to Christ by hating them in Jesus' name. And if the God of the universe dwells within me, what do I have to be afraid of? Because nothing can separate me, separate me from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing in Paul's words, all creation. Is Holland and Zealand part of all? And then he says this, I love that. This is my favorite turn of phrase in this, in this section. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now, literally, in the, I love how the translators did this because the literal translation would be, I'll read it as if it were literal. Let your conversation always be full of grace, salty. What's salty language in our idiom? Sailors, right? Curses like a sailor. Pirates have salty language. Now, here's Paul just saying the chapter before, don't be full of anger, rage, malice, and no, don't let any filthy words come out of your mouth, and then he's saying to be salty. No. In their idiom, that means in the, the, the turn of phrase, the, 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 the way people talked and what everyone understood when you used a word like that, kind of like when I say, heads up. Yeah, right? Now, someone else thinks you got to lift your head. Uh, in, in England, they don't call a grocery basket a shopping cart. They call it a carriage. So if someone said, grab your carriage, right, it's an idiom. In their idiom, this is what salty language meant. It meant to be your, your, if your speech was salty, it means you were witty, amusing, clever, and humorous. Clever meaning bright, smart, intellectually sound. You know what Paul's saying? Don't bore people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And certainly don't act like we've been baptized in vinegar, angry, and it's all about the rules. And praise God, if you get saved, you can have all the fun I'm having. <laughs> Think of the people you remember, things that they've said. If you, if you heard a comedian that told something that just made you laugh out loud, what, it's because the person turned the phrase, there's something, they led you in one direction, and they stopped it, and they brought you back. And you're surprised by it, and you remember it. If there are people like uh, Soren Kierkegaard, an existentialist philosopher turned Christian way back when, he said this, and I will never forget it. He said there are two types of people in the world. There are the righteous, or there's the sinners who think they're righteous, and the righteous who know they're sinners. 
That is so, says so much in such a short little thing. I'll never forget it. I might get that out of order sometimes, but I will never forget it. Why? Because it's clever. It's salty. Brennan Manning said in a book, Lion and Lamb, he said, the Lord loves you so much and knows you so well that he expects more disappointment out of you than you do. That has transformed my life. I'm never surprising God with my failures. That's salty language. That's language seasoned with salt. It's clever. It's clear. It's, it's memorable. So folks, if we're to be watchful, always keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we're supposed to be devoted in prayer and mindful and wise and, 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 and taking every opportunity so that we'll know how to answer anyone when it comes up, no matter what their attitude is toward us, we need to be relentless in preparation so that when God grants you a conversation or a neighbor or someone that knows nothing or even is angry toward you because you're a believer, if you can be salty in your language, if you can be thoughtful ahead of time, if you can, no matter how bad they, how angry they are with you or how foolish they act as if they think you are, if you're able to be full of grace and bright, something may change in them. I have a professor from seminary. His name is Chris Kaiser. We were talking about him this morning. Um, I'll finish it up with this. Chris is the smartest man I've ever met one-on-one. When he was in in college, um, I don't remember if it was Boston College or Harvard, but he had a parent that was a professor at each. But some guys invited him to a a, a, a dorm room, dorm Bible study. And he went into these Bible studies and he just tore them up. He said, I went back week after week after week. And every argument they had, everything they said, I just tore. He's just so brilliant. But he said, after four or five weeks, when I left there, I went, man, I just won that argument. But I know they're right. You don't know what the Lord's going to do. All you can do is participate in the work that he set before you. So be devoted in prayer. Be watchful. Be thankful. Pray for those who are given regular opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And as far as it depends on you, be ready. Be ready. Because someone else may get to become the person that God wants them to be because of you. Two things I want you to know. Pray. Talk to the one who made you. Talk to the one who loves you more than anyone else. Pray. Listen to the one who loves you and the one who knows better than you do so that you stay on the path and you can bring others along with you, taking every opportunity when it's offered you because it is a race that has been marked out for you. God knows who you're going to come in contact with and you can either be prepared or unprepared. There's more to it, but that's the book of Colossians. Next week, we will be talking about Sola Scriptura, because it's the 500-year anniversary of the uh, Reformation. Um, not next week, but the week after that, the, 20, uh, the week of the 29th. Um, so we're going to take a couple of those things that frame the, the Reformation and talk about those next week. Scripture alone 
That's what sola scriptura means. And then Andrew will be preaching the following week on sola deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. Now, everything we do is reformed and scriptural. We will remain faithful in that. But over the next couple of next couple of weeks, we're going to remind us of where we've come from, what God has done, and that should be a good predictor about what God, where, where God is leading us and what God will be doing. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you. We thank you that we can talk to you and that you talk back. We thank you that you dwell within us. And while it's a still, quiet voice at times, If we continue on our way, that voice will become more clear and the distractions of anxiety and fear and worry and concern and heartache will be much less distracting. Thanks that Paul was willing to challenge us with this. I pray that these words land on your people in the way you want it to land so that it returns not void but will accomplish that which you've sent it to do. In the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father, we pray. Amen couple quick things. If you ruin, don't just take this thing, expand it. If you ruin Thanksgiving every year that the Lions lose, maybe watch the Falcons. Okay? If you yell at the TV and you can't sleep at night because of what's being said on the news and the bias that's there, turn it off for a week. The world will still be here. And get yourself focused, devoted in prayer to the Lord. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this. We're going to end the message the same way we started it, asking your eyebrows to be up and to show you the difference. What if every week I stood up here or any pastor stood up here and said, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. Turn his countenance toward you. Scowl at you. <laughs> but sometimes that's how we behave. Like we've been baptized with vinegar and we're miserable. So put your eyebrows up. It actually changes your brain chemistry. It does. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.